That's why we give people every week some way in which to publicly identify with Christ. But understand, while that is true, there are people who can make an outward confession. It's words only, it's lips only, but the lifestyle does not match. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We have taken a little detour in our study of Revelation to ask the question, is your conversion real? This message is largely from Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which addresses false prophets and the fact that many individuals who are sure of their salvation will unfortunately one day find out that they were wrong. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he talks about spiritual wolves that are leading ignorant sheep to destruction. I don't think it's accidental that as Jesus speaks here of false prophets here in the Sermon on the Mount, that he is speaking of it in the context of two gates, and two ways, and two crowds, and two destinations. And one of the things that false prophets do also is they tend to blur the way of salvation. In fact, they almost create a middle road, a non-committal road. You don't really have to decide. You can hold on to your sin. You can hold on to your own way. You can follow the inclinations of your heart. You can be the master of your own fate. And then you have some liberals who would dare to even contradict the plain teaching of Holy Scripture. It doesn't matter what road you're on as long as you're on some road because in the end, they argue, it all leads to heaven And I want to tell you, it is essential that every born-again, blood-bought child of God mature in their faith. And that has to happen through expository teaching. That is the only way you can ground people. And all this nonsense and psychobabble and love languages and all these personality tests and everything else, critical race theory and intersectionality and all these outside tools we are bringing into the church go against the clear teaching of Scripture and it will never help you to mature and get grounded in your faith. You cannot be a mature Christian. You cannot claim you are grown up and lack discernment. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Concerning him, speaking of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. This is why, by the way, it is absolutely essential that when men are chosen to lead the church as elders, that they are spiritually mature men, well-grounded in healthy doctrine. Then he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You cannot claim to be a mature Christian and lack biblical and theological discernment because a mature Christian is a discerning Christian. And I'm concerned when people write me through my radio ministry and they get mad at me and they say, look, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I love Joel Osteen and why are you ragging on old Joel? And they love this man, this same guy who repeatedly on three occasions has denied that Jesus is the only way to God. 
He brags about the fact that he never talks about sin and hell and judgment and that you can have your best life now. He repeatedly argues, he brags about the fact that he doesn't know much doctrine or theology. That tells you right off he's not qualified to be a pastor. Other examples, I'm asked repeatedly on the Bible line now about the new apostolic reformation. You got the uh, word faith movement with Benny Hinn and Ken and Gloria Copeland and Creflo Dollar and Jesse Duplantis and Joyce Meyer and Joseph Prince. Listen, they are false teachers and people don't have the discernment to see it because they're babes in Christ. And so remember how false teachers are described in the book of apostasy. In Jude, in verse 12, Jude describes them as clouds without water, and that they have the appearance of something to offer that is rich and satisfying. They offer sustenance, but they don't produce. There's no real substance that comes from them. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what God says. Now, there's a second trait of the false prophet, not just in terms of his teaching, but his influence. And so we need to ask, what effect does the teaching of a false prophet have on those who listen? Are they promoting godliness or are they promoting ungodliness? Listen to these words that Moses penned in Deuteronomy 13, just before the Lord takes him home. He said, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. If you claim to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and your life has not changed and your pastor tells you it really doesn't matter, then you are listening to a false teacher, a false prophet. You are hearing a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of a true pastor and he will promote calling his people to the same so we will not be surprised when in a few weeks we come to Revelation 21 and verse 15 and God says, outside, outside of heaven are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Truth matters because truth builds up God's church and it divides error what is false from the way that God would have us in which to go. And certainly, if God's people today were heeding this warning, we wouldn't have Southern Baptists saying we need to use hospitable words in describing the LGBT community. You can't describe perversion with hospitable words. You have to tell people the truth. We wouldn't have the PCA of all Presbyterian denominations doing a study on this same-sex attraction because God's word is clear and we need to proclaim it without stuttering. I want you to see that the words and works of a prophet eventually reveal his true character just as a fruit reveals 
It's what kind of tree it is. So there's a decision to make. There's a deception to avoid. But finally, there's a destiny in which we are to find. When we come to verses 21 through 23, we find now Christ addressing the subject of two kinds of professions. He is now moving from these false prophets, these who have a false profession, and he wants us to understand at least two things. Number one, not everyone who professes Christ possesses salvation. Don't miss that. Not everyone who professes Christ possesses genuine salvation. So he's moving now from the unsaved teachers to the unsaved hearers. Look what he says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Jesus is simply saying, if your profession, profession does not match your lifestyle, then you have an empty profession. Please understand, a verbal public confession is indispensable to genuine conversion. If a person really knows the Lord Jesus, they will be unashamed of the Lord Jesus. That's why Christ could say, Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. That's why we give people every week some way in which to publicly identify with Christ. But understand, while that is true, there are people who can make an outward confession. It's words only, it's lips only, but the lifestyle does not match. Which brings me to the second point, and that is many professing Christians will meet God's wrath. Many who say they are Christians in the end will meet God in his wrath. Now, in Christ's day, like our day, there are people who profess to be saved, people who say they are born again, but they are really not. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 22. Many, circle that word, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles? Please underscore this word, many. He's not talking about people who embrace one of the isms of this world. He is not saying that this is in reference to those who embrace a false uh, form of teaching, so to speak. He is now speaking to those who identify themselves in the realm of Christianity. People who say they are born again but who really are not. And to drive home his point, he doesn't grab some ho-hum, casual profession of faith. He goes for the most dramatic profession you could think of, where if we saw someone today, we'd say, oh man, they are men of God. She is a woman of God. Look what they do. They prophesy, they preach in his name. They do miracles in his name. They cast out demons in his name. And by the way, Judas did all three of these. And there are illustrations in the New Testament of people doing all three. Unbelievers who preach in Christ's name, who do quote-unquote miracles in his name, and who cast out demons in his name. Christ doesn't deny that reality. But it's talk without truth. It's, it, it, it's a profession without a possession of true conversion. 
And so now the Lord moves from what they are saying about him to what he will say in the end about them. Follow carefully. Look what he says in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never, underscore that word never, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They use the Lord's name very freely in a saving way, so to speak. But their name was unknown to God, not in an omniscient way. He knows everyone's name. He's got the hairs on your head numbered. But the word no here in a saving way, in a personal way. You can say, Martha, Martha, Mary, Mary, Lord, Lord, in the username twice to claim you have a personal relationship with the living God. But he will say, I never, not I once, I never, ever, ever knew you. And because of their unwillingness to truly embrace Jesus as both Lord and Savior, they will be eternally lost. It's a lips only, but not a lifestyle profession. So having stated his premise... And then having illustrated it, Jesus brings the sermon to a conclusion with three applications. Number one, Christ first admonishes us to build on a solid foundation. Having just described two ways, the broad and the narrow, two teachers, false and true, two professions, real and spurious. Now notice beginning in verse 24, the very first word is the word therefore. And so in verses 24 through 27, he brings this sermon to a conclusion by illustrating with two kinds of builders. And why does he do that? Because depending on the road you travel, the kind of teacher that you are, the kind of fruit that you bear, or the kind of profession that you make, you will determine whether or not you are a solid rock builder or a sand builder. Look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. By contrast, you'll notice here verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Everyone here this morning is building some kind of a spiritual house. You are either a wise builder or you are a foolish builder. Now, externally, I expect that these two homes probably looked very much alike. They had the same basic floor plan. They had four walls and a roof. They were built in the same general place because both homes experienced the same storm in the illustration. So in that sense, they are very familiar. And as I look over this congregation and as people are sitting in other places on different campuses today, we all probably look a lot alike in the sense that we're all hearing God's word. We're all hearing the Bible being preached. We all want to succeed in life. We all have some basic purposes that we may share. We have a basic plan that we embrace. But the vital difference in these two houses is the foundation. It's the part that you don't see. It's the part below the house. And when we look around the congregation this morning, the difference is not in what you see so much as in what you don't see. Notice the difference. First, there was the rock builder. Jesus said the wise man built his house upon the rock. On another occasion, another sermon, on another day, Luke said it this way. Jesus said he is like a man building a house who dug deep 
and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. He dug down deep. He had a good, solid foundation that will stand in a storm. But then there's the other house built by Sand Builders Incorporated. (laughs) Notice verse 26. He built his house on the sand. Luke elaborates, he built a house upon the ground without any foundation. No foundation. It just rested on the ground. And certainly it's easier to build that kind of home, and it's certainly a lot less costly. As a matter of fact, it might even look better because the extra money you would have spent on the foundation, you can now put in shutters and nicer windows and, you know, gingerbread trim and maybe a big porch. And while these houses are similar, they're quite different. They all hear this day the same Sermon on the Mount, but they don't all respond in the same way. So in verse 24, Jesus speaks of those who hears these words of mine and acts on them. By contrast, the other man hears the same message. And there's a sense which he wants it. He wants a fire insurance policy. I mean, who wants to go to hell? Nobody wants to go to hell. He wants the benefits of the cross without embracing the one who hung on that cross. And there are many, many, many people within Christendom today who in the end they will find themselves on that road. And so he calls them foolish people. Because notice, he hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Now again, please understand, he is not speaking here of the outright pagan. He is not speaking of the outright enemy of Jesus. He is addressing the professing Christian. He is speaking of the person who says in reality he has been saved, but really he has not been saved. In the words of the Revelation, he is not an overcomer. He is not one who will persevere, and therefore he will not eat from the tree of life. He is describing a person who may call Jesus Lord, but it's not true. In the parallel passage, in the parallel sermon, and Jesus preached many sermons many times, and for every pastor, you should never be afraid of repeating yourself. And if you have people say, I've heard that sermon before. Why are you preaching that? That's an arrogant person who is unteachable. Not to mention there are constantly new people who are being saved who need to hear the basics. But in Luke 6, 46, Jesus put it this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now understand, no one will be saved by doing the works that Christ gives us to do. And if you think you're going to get into heaven by being good, you will in the end end up in hell. But while we are not saved by works, the moment we are born from above, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by him. We are new creations whereby he makes us holy. And that's why Paul can say in Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Listen, there are millions of people who go to church Sunday after Sunday who are going to die and go to hell. I was in an evangelistic outreach and hundreds of people came forward. 
And I thought, on what basis? Certainly not on the basis of what that man preached because he didn't tell them the truth. And there are many people who have not built their lives upon the rock. And I can't think of anything more chilling than to think you are going to heaven and the moment you die, you discover that you are eternally lost. Where you hear the words of Jesus, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that does not have to happen. That's the whole purpose of the warning. If we take a long, hard look and examine our lives, we can see whether or not we have genuinely placed our faith in Jesus. So that's the first application to build on a solid foundation. Secondly, Christ alerts us to expect the storm. He alerts us to expect the storm. And so twice over in verses 25 and then again in verse 27, Jesus repeats himself. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Hey, listen, contrary to the popular prosperity message of our day, that if you have enough faith, you won't meet these storms. Storms are going to come to every life to the saved and to the lost, to those who build their life on Christ and to those who build their life on the sand. And all the storms really show is what your foundation is, whether or not it's real faith or pseudo-faith. And my friend, a, a, a faith that cannot stand the storms of life is a faith that cannot be trusted. If you have the genuine item and the storms come, you will indeed stand Third and finally, he admonishes us to build on a solid foundation. He alerts us to expect the storm, but he assures us with the blessing of a solid life. Notice now verse 25, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Luke compares it to a dam bursting. He is like a man building a house who digs deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Why do some people fold up? Why do some people cave in? And why do others endure? Because some have built their house on silt and muck and others upon the rock. You say, Pastor, I knew of a fine family who once came to our church. Very active. And now they're nowhere to be fine. Oh, but such a fine family. Yes, well-furnished house. All the extras. But a house built on sand. Now understand, Jesus is not speaking here of sinless perfection. But he is speaking of a new direction, of a practice. He's not even saying that a real Christian cannot get out of fellowship with God in the midst of a storm. But I want to tell you, when the storm's over and the sky is clear, a true believer will still be standing. Now think about this for a moment. Think about who was present when this sermon was given. There was Simon Peter, and there was a man by the name of Judas Iscariot, both who had done signs, wonders, and miracles in the name of Christ. Both who had publicly identified with Jesus. But one had a life built on the rock and the other built his life on sand. 
both preached in his name, both cast out demons in his name, both did miracles in his name when they were sent out. And people would probably maybe even conclude Judas, he had a better house than Simon Peter. I mean, think about who might have had the best looking house. Judas appeared to be rock solid. I mean, who do you entrust the money bag with? Who do you make the treasurer? A person of honesty, a person of integrity. And yet, when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, no one said, oh, it's that rascal Judas. No, they didn't think it was him. Judas knew how to build a house, almost. But there was a difference. When Peter is asked, who do men say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter was weak like many of us. He didn't appear to have much of a house, but he had a good, solid foundation. And I want to tell you, when the storm came through, it was all over for Judas this morning. He's in hell, but Peter is in heaven. Jesus said he would pray for Peter because he knew a storm was coming. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He had real faith, and he had a high priest because he had been born from above in New Testament terminology who interceded for him. When the storm hit, oh, maybe he had a few broken windows and a few shingles off the roof and a few fallen shutters, but his house was standing. Do you know why he had the real thing? because he was willing in humility to bow himself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Was he weak? Yes. Did he fail more than once? But he had a house built on the rock. Can you say this morning, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Now the question is not, are you building a, a spiritual house? You are. The question is not, will a storm come? It will. But what kind of foundation are you on? Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The time to ask, where is my foundation? What is it on? Is now. Test yourself to see if you be of the faith. Make sure your election and calling is certain. To listen again to today's message titled, Is Your Conversion Real? Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV68. We've added more information about our upcoming trip to Israel online. If you've never visited the Holy Land, or if you'd like to experience that amazing journey again, join us as Dr. Brogy leads two separate trips in late September and early October. 
Find out all the details at our special website, stsisraeltour.com. And on Sunday, February 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern, Dr. Brogy will host a live brief informational meeting about the trip. The website again is stsisraeltour.com. We hope you can join us on this amazing excursion where the Bible literally comes alive. Tomorrow we move back into Revelation chapter 22 as we look at what happens when Jesus returns. Join us then as we search the scriptures.